Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Ron Carlson's latest novel, Return to Oak Pine, is a tender and nostalgic portrait of Western American life. In it, Carlson tells the story of four middle-aged friends who once played in a band while growing up together in a small town in Wyoming. One of them, Jimmy Brand, left for New York City and became an admired novelist. Thirty years later, it's 1999, he's returned to die. Craig Ralston and Frank Gunderson never left Oak Pine. Mason Kirby, a Denver lawyer, is back on family business. Jimmy's arrival sends the other men's dreams and expectations realized and deferred whirling to the surface. Now that they are reunited, getting the band back together might be the most essential thing they ever do. Ron Carlson is an award-winning author of short stories and novels. His story collections include News of the World, Plan B for the Middle Class, and A Kind of Flying. His novels include Five Skies and The Signal. His fiction has appeared in Harper's, New Yorker, Playboy, GQ. has been featured on NPR's This American Life and selected shorts. Uh, he was born in Logan, raised in Salt Lake City. He's now the director of UC Irvine Writing Program. He lives in Huntington Beach, California, and joins us from uh, California. Ron Carlson, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. Uh, so, uh, I'd like to start with, uh, with the town here. This, this, I, I think that's resonated with me and I think probably anybody who's grown up in a small town, my, my hometown, Vernal, Utah, uh, everything but the railroad, the railroad never got to Vernal. Um, right. but, uh, so there's a, one of the characters, uh, Craig, who stayed in Oak Pine of, from, from these, these four, uh, friends, he's got a new house on the hill. And uh, I think this is a discussion that happens in, in many small towns in the West. That's where the outsiders live, kind of the, the rich, the new people from, in this case, California and, and Idaho. Right. Well, um, the town is, um, like so many things, you start with pl- some place you know, such as, oh, uh, you pick it, Laramie, Logan, Vernal. I spent a lot of time at Vernal. And... Um, then you move toward what you don't know, and you start to. Then all of a sudden, you've got another town you've been been in, and uh, it's so interesting. Um, as a writer, I've always loved that in the second half hour of any writing day, something comes onto the page that you hadn't anticipated when you sat down. And those, I mean, it's been that way for me for 35 years, and um, so the town becomes this kind of mashup of uh, a little bit of. <laughs> a little, and plus, there's all these towns that I know that are no longer the same town that they were. Um, I've been living in the West long enough that all those towns, uh, you know, it's sort of comical. All my friends in California go to Park City, and they think they've invented it. <laughs> and I remember going there in high school when uh, half of the town was vacant lots and broken bottles. Um, so anyway, it's it's like that, and mm-hmm. I. Yeah, a lot of these towns, um, I remember when uh, the post office moved out of downtown Vernal. And yeah. Out to the, you know, on the east side of town, and then all the towns get a Walmart, and um, so it's it's that. You want, I mean, I did set the book in 1999 because of, uh, because it, we hadn't been overrun yet with cell phones. It wasn't, I mean, a cell phone has done this thing to us. It's, I think it's affected me as a writer because it hurts place that with a cell phone, everybody's everywhere all the time and nothing happens in everywhere. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in having a place, having a, 
a town or, you know, I've never written a story about people isolated on an island, but that's, you know, when I do that, there's going to be no cell phones. Yeah, it's it's that paradox, isn't it? The the You find the universal in the specific. And uh, you, mm-hmm. you think cell phones are, are taking us away from that? Yeah, well, I think that um, the old maxim used to be nothing happens nowhere. So, you know, and I, I came to that late after I'd already created places. I'd used I used towns I knew. I made up things. I started with Salt Lake, and pretty soon it was a version of Salt Lake. Or I started with uh, whatever. And um, so as soon as you have, um, you know, have, you know, people looking, <laughs> as soon as it's all this, this access where, um, where, where are you, when you talk to people or you see their cell phone numbers, their, their area codes mean nothing now. Mm. Yeah, that's and true. I still have an Arizona cell phone. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've some of us are old enough to have lived two or three lives in terms of the, what the technology has done. And, um, but so yeah, I created a town where uh, a locus where people wanted to come back. I feel very located. I had I just had uh, dinner with a bunch of my high school friends, uh, and uh, I, I don't know. It's just that, that's the way I feel. I feel very powerfully about Salt Lake, of course, because I grew up there. And um, I still, and I love the Cache Valley because I spent a lot of time there too. And um, as a kid, my dad would and I would come out to the West, way in the West Valley, and we hunted ducks in these remote places, which are now sub, uh, suburban um, housing. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm uh, I always worked from place. If I created a place that I could believe something could happen then something would happen. So that was the, the purpose of uh, Oak Pine. The, 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 um, when I wrote the book, speaking about the town, I had I got this very powerful image of a street with big cottonwoods on it and these houses on it. And we've all been on such streets. Um, they were part of the landscape when I was a kid, and now they're so, be- so beautiful and sort of rare. Um, but... Just this little street in a small town by a park. I think I was thinking a little bit of Laramie at the time. There's two or three things that I took from Laramie and put in this town. And there's two or three things from Casper that I put there. And there's, <laughs> there's probably five or six other towns. But uh, I, uh, so I wrote the book, and I was thinking about that town, about where the train, where, the, where Frank's bar was and where Jimmy Brand's parents lived and the clinic and uh, where Craig lived on the hillside. And um, so the last thing I wrote as I was finishing the book was the first, turns out to be that first chapter where Larry um, just takes a deep breath. He's in high school. He's young and alive and certainly never going to die. And he uh, goes out for a run. He's running in preparation for fall football and, one night he runs around the town, and I, I, that was such, it was so lovely for me to write, and then it became, and I saw, it, as soon as I'd done it, I thought, oh, there it is, there's your map, that's, that kid just wrote a circle, he ran a circle around your, the world of the story, so it became chapter one or whatever. And the, the motel on, on Beyond the Edge of Town really resonated with me, a, a lot of towns have this, the Trails End. Had been yeah. a nifty motel, you're right, waiting for the town to grow out to it. I guess yeah. it n- never <laughs> never happened. It slid for 30 years, and now it's it's just a ruins. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Some of the some of the places we know throughout the West, dozens and dozens of towns. I've been all over Utah, of course, and um, some of them catch on and go and go and grow, and then they they change and they. Um, well, Park City, for example, but that was for obvious reasons. But there are other towns that sort of slide. They they teeter. You know, by by the time one end is being improved, the other end is kind of crumbling and. Uh, I think that's fascinating. I don't think we need to. I don't think everything needs to be found out and discovered and improved. I think that it's um, it's an on, just an ongoing evolution. There's another. There are, there are many details that resonate with with me, and I think many who who are, you know live in rural areas or grew up in those areas. Um, the museum director Stuart Posner. Uh, he's trying to change the museum beyond frontier culture. Every town in you know Utah and the West has a frontier culture museum. He he has aspirations beyond that. Yeah, he's just he's the one that was he was sort of the odd duck when I created him. He uh, he wants to um, he's he wants to make it someplace else. He's you know it's he's not exactly with his coat and tie. He's trying to figure out a way to transcend the the ordinary uh, western town and. Um, He's a minor character, but he plays an important role in Marcy's life and is a way of uh, testing her. Um, so, And Marcy yeah. is, uh, is Craig's wife, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, they, we'll... yeah they, they uh, go back. I, I'm graduated high school in the 60s, and um, I put these kids up, and I was very awake and aware. I was at the University of Utah in 1968, 970, and... Um, so that's the, those are the years I wanted them to have all been in high school, and um, it was so odd. These you start writing these people, and then they're they're in a band. And I wish I was a musician with all my teeth, but I just <laughs> I never never could play the piano. <laughs> and uh, I love the piano, but I never could play it. And uh, the uh, and so writing the band was really I mean it was sort of delicious. The, these guys got into their rock and roll, and um, so I—I I mean, a lot of the research for the book, the music, and the um, just that whole cultural issue of sixty-nine, seventy—I'd done the research years before, mm-hmm. and then, uh, of course, it's very funny when you when you bring rock and roll up close, and you realize. You, <laughs> it's been years and years, and you never understood the lyrics. So <laughs> I had to look up a few lyrics, and uh, then when I realized they were going to play again, that was that was just um, that was a, there were challenges. I'll say mm. it was it was fun. I want to get into and introduce the least four main characters here, but that just just another detail here that resonated. You write during high school football home games. Oak Pine is as deserted as a town in a movie about the end of the world. Not a noise except for the train every two hours. That's That describes a lot of uh, small towns. I'd, there was a difference in Vernal, by the way. The wrestling was big. So the, the, just insert yeah. wrestling for, for for football. We were never good in football. That, that came later after I'd graduated. But anyway, the, the, yeah. this is this is a, a central focus, and and some of these young men are heroes for a while, and then they have to have to go on from that. Yeah, well, that's the American story, isn't it? I mean, these towns that are big enough to have to field a football team, it becomes kind of the dominant cultural uh, element in the town, and um, that's 
you know, all through the West and the Southwest, and it's a huge industry in this country, but I wanted to write about it in the, in the folksy way, and the uh, one of the first things I wrote in this book was that uh, moment in the game where Frank gets hurt. Uh, we had a play where it was a, it was a sweep, where the quarterback pitched, and they, everybody, and everybody swept away, everybody ran toward the end, to one side, and it was so lovely. It was lo- it was really fun to run that way, and it was really fun to be in the play. It was actually a beautiful play. It was or- you know almost like a dance movement. Five or six guys sweeping as hard as they could toward the one sideline, trying to turn the corner. And uh, that scene where Frank gets hurt that was one of the first things I wrote, and I realized you have to. I mean, there's a personal connection. I think with uh, in my work, so many things are. Uh, I only wrote the stories that sort of mattered to me, that they came to me and they were evocative of, um, I mean, you put me in Salt Lake or you put me in Utah in October, I'll write you two stories. It's just, it's so powerful a feeling going back to to my childhood and all of the falls. Uh, the Utah is such a magnificent place anyway, but um, so I... Uh, I wrote, you know, those, those scenes uh, about the fall, Frank's injury, and uh, each of the men um, began to emerge, and I began to see where their where their stories had been, and it's been 30 years. Um, and part of it, part of writing the book for me was that uh, there's a time when you realize you can finally say 30 years ago, <laughs> with, and it happens in a hurry, it seems like, with authority and and meanwhile you're going along fine you're in the middle of your life trying to make ends meet and take care of your kids and boom 30 years later so there was that on the book too i wanted this uh... sense of uh... everybody looking at chapter two if not chapter three and in jimmy's case the last chapter of a life so um, that was operating me as as each of these men emerged um, and I wrote a book, a novel about men on a construction project called Five Skies, and um, there it was so lovely for me to write the work. And writing process, the idea of steps in an event, is one of the mainstays of fiction, that things happen and a writer tries to present them as they unfold, um, selecting the details and the imagery of of course, as skillful as, as he can, but um, as soon as I understood that Jimmy's father didn't want him in the house for for, for two or three reasons, uh, he and I realized that Mrs. Brand was going to remodel the garage and make this hospice. Then I had that was just a wonderful realization for a writer because you, you, you think, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get Mason, who works in a hardware store and really wants to be a constru- works, work in construction. He wants to make things, and all he does is sell hardware. Um, he's going to get a chance to remodel this garage, and so I can start there with with all of the things that you might do. And um, I'm about half handy, and have been very, very happy in times of fixing houses and uh, garage doors and. Uh, windows. Uh, I, there's several things I could never do, and one was was hang a door straight. And um, But 
that was that was delicious for me to know that. And then I started in with with Mason and his son, and their working together revealed a certain kind of relationship and a certain time in the town. And um, so it was like that. I just um, I, 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 that's how I that's how I walked into step by step the deeper water of the book. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Ron Carlson. We're talking about his latest book. It's a novel. It's called Return to Oak Pine. It's a small town Wyoming. Four friends were in a band briefly in high school. It's called Life on Earth, the name of the band. Um, then uh, two of them left, including uh, Jimmy, who became a uh, well-respected novelist. He's now returned to his hometown to die. And... Uh, the, the band is going to get back together. We'll talk more about this following the break. This is Brian Erickson and bringing more to life. Parents forget. High blood pressure, poor sleep, and medicine can slow a brain down. Purpose in life, social networks, stimulating activities, these help protect aging brains. Rather than worry about memory lapse, direct your energy toward mental exercises, physical activity, and maintaining a social life. Ask your parents how they spend their time and encourage change. Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan. Advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Shad. Sarah Silverman is one of the best-known comedians working today. Next time on Q, I'll chat with her about changing speeds for I Smile Back, a new dramatic film where she plays a woman struggling with depression and substance abuse. That's coming up on Q from PRI, Public Radio International. Join us Tuesday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utime. Tom Williams, my guest for the hour, is writer Ron Carlson. He's the award-winning author of short stories and novels. The latest novel is Return to Oak Pine. In it, Carlson tells the story of four middle-aged friends who once played in a band while growing up together in small-town Wyoming. One of them, Jimmy Brand, left for New York City, became an admired novelist. Thirty years later, it's 1999, he's returned to die. Craig Ralston and Frank Gunderson never left Oak Pine. Mason Kirby is Denver lawyer. He's back on family business. And uh, that's that's how the novel uh, starts. That's the plot in uh, in brief. Ron Carlson, I want to just read the, this paragraph. This struck me. This is Larry. This is Craig's son, the uh, the owner of the hardware store. By the way, there, there's expectation in the town that Larry will take over the store just as Craig did from his father. Uh, you have these businesses, you know, that go that, that go on for generations, and until perhaps Walmart comes to town, and there's there's a worry about that, of course. Um, so I'll just read this. <clears throat> Upstairs in his room in the new carpet-smelling house, Larry felt a catch in his breath or an ache in his breastbone, and he looked out his window and saw the town again glittering, and he saw the two yellow lights at the trestle where he'd run forty minutes ago, and all the dark houses he had circled, and he said, "What is it?" And then he knew that he wouldn't stay. He'd known he was going to go out of, uh, out of state to college, either to Wisconsin or Mich- Michigan. 
But now he knew he wasn't coming back. He sat on his bed in the space that they had painted, bay blue from the big paint book. He looked around the bare walls, his few pictures still leaning there and uh, waiting to be hung, and he felt old now knowing the first long season in his life was over. He would play football and finish at Oak Pine High in the spring and then go. So funny. He loved the town and was done with it. That, that, that resonates. Uh, you, know, it's some, uh, you know, some young people can't wait to get out. They want to go to the big city or, or whatever, but they don't know. Larry has a feeling he's, he's not going to come back. Well, that was, you know, every, every, if, if you follow someone as a writer, as you read that, I remember that he's just come back from that long run around the town. And he's climbed up and he's had an interview with his father and mother and sitting in his room alone, he has, makes this realization. And you always have to be careful with realizations in, in writing. I mean, we talk about it that you don't want someone to, you don't want it to be easy to, to be totally cognitive, some, something, some synapse in the brain and a person suddenly realizes something. So you try to earn it with um, a little world, a little wear and tear in the real world. So, yeah, he's he's um, at the end of this run, and he looks out and says, and then he see, sees, and that that was interesting for me because I thought, oh my gosh, um, you, you know, so many times there are surprises in in your writing, and that was one, and I I like that kid. I like how these things come to him and. As you're reading also, I, I realize that uh, he talks about, in that first section, he refers to his English teacher, Afton Argyle, and I'm so glad to use my, her name in the book. Afton was my uh, English teacher when I was a senior at West High School in Salt Lake City, and uh, but isn't she had the perfect name of all the English teachers I ever enjoyed, <laughs> Afton Argyle. Afton Argyle, She's, that's... Yeah, she was very proper and very, um, she was tough on me, and she should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so it's fun. Every once in a while in a, in a story, you get to use, um, it's a little something, you know, Tennessee Williams always said, put something in your story that nobody but you knows, you know, just a little secret mm-hmm. for the writer. But there's lots of stuff like that in my work. But and Afton Argyle, I don't want her to be a secret. She was, she was a great lady. And of course, that who knows that realization might not be true. I, I'm sure Jimmy Jimmy thought he'd never come back, probably. right? Exactly. And, and he's back. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, it's interesting about we talk a lot about how people make decisions and where where they are made in in, in a person, and it's one of the challenges of of writing close fiction, I think. So yeah. Um, so I wonder, it's, it's, you look back and you were, you were saying in the, in the previous segment, you, you look back all of a sudden it's 30 years and, and you can right. with credibility say it's been 30 years and it does go fast. Um, so, so looking back and these four friends are going to reunite, how do you do that without being overly sentimental? It, it, you know, it could be, could be colored in a, in, you know, kind of rose colored tinge, which it, which is not by the way, in this, in this novel. Well, you. It, what happened was when I understood this book. When I, uh, you get into a book and you think I, I'm playing with this idea of these guys, a rock and roll band in high school. They off go off. They all go off. Everybody has a life. Then they come back. It isn't easy, and nor is it nifty. It isn't neat. The one is that Jimmy, destitute and without an option, returns to for his demise, 
and uh, there's no option. His mother's so happy to have him back, and there's this estrangement from his father. So there, those are the facts, and you're going to confront them as a writer. And then, you know, sentimentality was a huge worry, uh, but at the same time, you look at it, you think, this is what I've chosen, this or this book's chosen me, whatever, however you want to speak about it. I want to be honest with these people. I don't want to give anybody an easy way or a facile way or have them behave like a person in a book. I want to uh, sit with each person. And writing character, your responsibility writing character is to sit in every chair. That, that one of the features of writing fiction that isn't spoken about in the big craft book is empathy. That you, you occupy as well as you can the men and the women in your story and give them a shot. Now, so then I thought, well, sentimentality is a risk. Then I thought, you're going in. You're going to take the risk. <laughs> there's, but there's also sentiment, which is, um, you know, pathos, a real feeling. And so, um, yeah, I was in, uh, you know, I thought that, well, this is thin ice. But then I just, uh, I just picked it up and I thought, yeah, um, it's, this isn't a book that, with it, that has a spoiler alert. Jimmy's going to perish. And so you have to honor that and write it as well and as solidly as possible. So um, I'll tell you what happened was a very funny thing happened with this book in that I was worried like that. So I wrote the book. Then I rewrote the book. and didn't. So then the book went in the world. <clears throat> and we were – I was concerned about – that issue a little bit but but I but not really the book's the book and it'll after after you finish the book you support it as well as you can and and you're going to write another book so mm. I was giving a presentation in a bookstore and um, a guy came up to me and said well he had all my books he was a collector so I he I was signing his books and he said the book I never got was your second novel truants and uh, I said, I know where a copy of that is, and I do. There's a copy, there's a box of those books in a cabin in Utah, in the, up by, uh, but way above Vernal in Flaming Gorge. And um, I said, I'll get you a copy and send you one next, you know, in six months when I'm up there. He said, that's great. So then I got, then this is what I'm moving toward. In October of the year that, that the book came out, I was still worried about its reception. And I got a letter from this guy uh, at my office at Irvine, and the letter he said, "I found. Don't worry about truants. I found a copy in Sam Weller's used book. You know, so he found a copy. But in this used book, there had been a letter. He said, I think you should have this letter. So, and it was a letter that my mother had written. Uh, my mother, who who's long gone and was a real character, and." So I'm standing in my English department with this letter from my mother. She wrote in 1983, and it's all about, it's to her friend. She's sending this book, Truants, to her friend, and it's all about what a fine writer her son is. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm, look, I've been validated here. Mm-hmm. This is, my worries are over. And um, it was true. I mean, the uh, it made me stop, just stand up straight and face the fact that I'd written I'd written a book carefully uh, that um, is has real family, some real family issues in it. And I tried to deal with them as honestly as I could. So um, you you try, 
your question originally was like, how do you try to avoid sentimentality or melodrama? And you try to keep your book on the ground. You try to keep it in the things and the people of your scenes and uh, stay away from um, too much internal waxing and uh, the idea of, of um, elaborate internal thought and then also um, description or instruction from the author. You, you st- if you can stay in scene, if you can put things in, put, uh, express, give your moment things, it, it, it'll, you'll find your way. If you just joined us, we're talking uh, with Ron Carlson. His uh, latest book is Return to Oak Pine, set in a small town in Wyoming. Uh, you're welcome to join the conversation here. You can do that uh, by telephone, 1-800-826-1495. If you'd like to talk to Ron Carlson, 1-800-826-1495, or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. The, this, some of these themes resonate from middle age. Uh, Craig, for example, uh, really loves construction, but he had a dream of starting a construction company, but he's, his dad uh, you know, wanted him to come into the hardware business, and that's what he's done. Um, there's the lawyer you know, from Denver coming home. He he's, doesn't enjoy practicing law. Uh, you know, people dealing with, uh, with what they would like and, and what is real. There, there's a line that crystallized that for me, and uh, of course it goes beyond what I've just described. This is uh, Marcy, Craig's wife. Uh, she's reviewing her life. She's she's looking at where she is, and she says this. It was so close to being enough. So close <laughs> to being enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're we're sort of made that way. I mean, there's there's an innate longing, isn't there? That's some for some people it's really persistent, and other people can keep it mute. But um, yeah, and then you get. As soon as you get sort of on top of things, there's still this this question about like what what else should I do? What else is there? What else do I want? So that that gets close to the ineffable. But yeah, I, I like that line too. It's true. Here's another uh, just a little short passage. I'm going to read this. Um, there are a thousand things, a thousand stories, and there are parts that never get said. Craig thought, and this is he's cleaning out the garage. He's fixing up the garage for Jimmy can come and live in the garage. Um, and the reason he's going to live in the garage is that he's, his father doesn't want him in the house. Um, and there's a boat, which is which I don't want to give away too much, but it connects with a tragedy. So uh, he, he's thinking about these thousand stories, Craig is, and he says it's just a boat, it's just a garage. But they've choked him all this time. I'm no better. Words don't weigh an ounce, but I can't haul them. Yeah, I think that one of the things I started right away was I was going to make the people considerate. Uh, that is to say, there was one of the strangest scenes is when Mason goes down to see Frank at Frank's bar, which is downtown, and they sit, and I realized all it was, there, was, there wasn't going to be a cataclysmic moment, but it was going to be two middle-aged guys sitting at a table looking out at the afternoon cloud cover, and... I wanted it just simply to be evocative of kind of men in the afternoon of their lives. And your line that you've read from um, Craig, considering um, how difficult it is to uh, to talk or come to, you know, actually literally find terms for a condition, 
that's sort of what we're we're up against as as writers thinking about people because it would be so nifty if we could just think up what what it was that was bothering us, put it in a paragraph, underline it, and get it notarized. But it's that isn't going to happen. There's there are things that are ineffable that work at us all the time, and so there's a bit of that in the book. I wonder if you, I could have you read a, a passage. This is uh, at least in my electronic copy. It's page one twenty-two. Uh huh. Um, this is from Return to Oak Pine, and this is Jimmy in his garage. He's he's arrived. The garage has been fixed up. He's living there, and he receives a visitor. This is a, a young woman named uh, Wendy. And uh, this this gets into you you talking about uh, through your characters, um, you know, writing the whole. Right, the joy of writing, exactly. process of writing, and something you think a lot about as a teacher of writing, of course, and and as a writer. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I've been a long time teacher. I'm one of these characters who got to do what he wanted to do. I wanted to work with writers. I'd met some writers at Utah, and uh, I was writing in high school. And then I met a couple of people at uh, the University of Utah, uh, particularly David Cranes, the wonderful writer teacher there and that set me a long time ago more than 40 years teaching and i just loved it um which section are you where, where does it start uh let's see so uh perhaps where she points to her at, at his notebook and then then go to the next page about halfway through so how did you write that um so what's what's the first line uh the Sorry. first line um uh she pointed at his notebook uh, it's on it's 122. Just a, yeah, 122. Yeah. Um. Okay. It's. I can't. I can't quite find it. The. Uh, there's a space break on 120. Wendy Ingram rode her blue bicycle. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. You Does could it start uh, there. It's. It's a little bit past that, but you could start there. Yeah. Okay. Well. She comes to the door. She's in high school, and she finds out through Larry that, that Jimmy's there, and they know of him because he's a well-known writer. Come in, Jimmy Brand said. He was sitting on the bed in a white dress shirt and a pair of corduroys typing on his laptop. There was a pillow under it. You're writing, Wendy said, coming in a step. I'll come back later. Do you remember when I was over with Larry? I'm Wendy. I got your book. She held it up, along with two others in her hand. I got another. I read them. I'll come back when you're not working. Don't come later, Jimmy smiled and tipped his head back. Come in the door right now. How's the weather? I love the fall, she said. The leaves are just turning, and it's still pretty warm out, but it's also sad, he said. Some, she said, I guess, but it's a beautiful day. You want me to open the door? It's not cold. Let's do that, Wendy, he said. She opened the door, and a plank of white light fell onto the floor, and light took all the upper corners of the odd room reflecting off the plastic sheeting stapled there. Well, Jimmy said, hello, that's better. It is a day. With the leaves, you can be sad or get ready with your rake. In the old days, we made some leaf piles like haystacks. We still do, but everybody has a blower. Of course they do. She sat down. Now she was uneasy and unsure of what to say, why she had come. How are you, she asked. Can I get you anything? I'm fine. I've got everybody hopping, and my mother is taking remarkable care. How's your Larry? So they talk a little further, and um, he uh, 
he asks her about her writing, right? And I'll just skip yeah. down here. Mm-hmm. Um, she looked at him seriously, and he saw that this was what she'd come to talk about. I do. I'm writing. It's just something I do. I'm not sure of it. What should it be? What is it? She shook her head and smiled. It's everything, a mess. It's what I see and what I do and sometimes what I feel. And sometimes all three? Yes. Like three guys trying to get through a door? That's it, she said, except five, and in a rush. She met his smile and asked, what do I do about that? You take your time. Don't push. Let each idea enter the room and find a chair. Give them half a page and then a page. Can you do it? Am I making sense? We're really talking here. I know what you mean, and I can do it sometimes. But what I get is nothing like what you write. She lifted one of his novels in both of his, her hands. It's not like this. It's not clear like this. You, you read the books? I love these books. It's like something I've never read before. She sat back, embarrassed to have spoken so freely, and then she looked up again. I never read a book about oak pine before. I knew a lot of the places, the mountain, the reservoir, the town. It hasn't changed very much. Right, sometimes a book about a familiar place can seem... No, she stopped him. I know what you're going to say. I don't mean that. It's not the town. Because I feel the same way about this. She held up the second book. And this, she held up the third. And I've never been to New York. I don't even know what it is. That's why I've come over. I didn't tell Larry or Wade or anyone, but I wanted to talk to you. She had come forward in her chair, her face a serious thing. Jimmy felt as awake as he had since returning. How do you know what I'm feeling, she said. How did you write it? Um, so they start a tutorial. Um, and um, that was, of course, fun to dip into some of the things I knew, some of the advice off the page for writers. and I mean, Jimmy's advice is not exactly mine, but some of it's close. And that, it, it, yeah, that that struck me. How how did you know what I'm feeling? How did you write that? It's it's that that uni- universal and well, Jimmy struck that. I meet so many people. I met so many people, uh, hundreds and hundreds of students, and um, I see them, and it's sort of shocking because some of them are getting older, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, they're one of the things they're united by is their uh, attention by their ardor, by their true interest, and trying to figure out this thing, this writing, and with their reading and with their own practice, trying, and so that's obviously one of the things that I had, and I've seen it again and again, and I share it. I have the same, I feel still, still, there's a great deal of me as a writer. I've written these books and so on and done this and that, but when you're in the writing room, you're still 17. You, you're, you're still typing, trying to figure it out. Every day is, is a fresh, I'd say, problem, but maybe I mean opportunity or puzzle. Um, it's so interesting to try to put words to some things which you're still trying to figure out. So anyway, that's, that's why it, Wendy was, was, was wonderful, was lovely to write, and um, she's strong. She's got a lot of fiber. Let's take another break. When we come back, we'll uh, be back with Ron Carlson. Uh, His latest uh, novel is Return to Oak Pine, set in a small town in Wyoming. Four old high school friends who are members of a band uh, reunite. That's the the skeleton uh, uh, plot line. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk about this uh, more about this process of writing. Ron Carlson has uh, written a whole book called Ron Carlson Writes a Story. 
where he, where he talks about the mechanics. Uh, more following the break. If you're a musician, what's your dream gig? Radio City, the Hollywood Bowl, something bigger maybe? Atlanta's airport is, is the busiest in the world. So with uh, the traffic, um, our music is, is, is exposed to everybody. What you'll hear as you head home for the holidays next time on Marketplace from APM. Join us tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. I'm Tom Williams. Wednesday on Access Utah, we're going to hold an open forum. We'll be addressing the questions, why are so many mass shootings happening in the U.S.? What can be done about this? What should we do? Is this the new normal? We're going to talk about terrorism, gun accessibility, mental illness, media coverage, culture, religion, prayer shaming, and more. And we want to know what you think. You can call in during the program Wednesday morning, 9 to 10. You can comment right now uh, via the Utah Public Insight Network by going online to upr.org. You can comment via Twitter at Utah Public Radio on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or by email to upraccess at gmail.com. We'll get as many of these comments on the program as we can. The program is Wednesday morning at 9. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. My guest for the hour is Ron Carlson. The book is Return to Oak Pine. You're welcome to join the conversation here. We have another about uh, 10 minutes left at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. So, Ron Carlson, you're, uh, I think for you, writing and teaching are pretty intertwined. You, you, I don't think you've ever had opportunity in your teaching career to take, you know, a year off and, and just write. You, you write in those free times, I believe. Well, you, a person, yeah, there's been periods when I've had a, a, some time. But, um, yeah, I'm a longtime teacher, and uh, once I, I, I started teaching high school and tried to figure out how best, what exercises, what best way to present writing and, and cons- consulting with writers. And so, um, and then getting into my own work, that's, what I, part of, that's part of the reason I wrote so many stories over the years. And then, um, and then when you get started with the novel, you work uh, when you can. The best thing for me, of course, is to work in the mornings, try to get most of an hour at some point before the day claims you, and um, before because it can get awfully noisy. And of course, now we have this internet, which is um, a problem, and uh, you have to be very careful with it because um, it wants to get right in your house and get into your head and try to figure out what you're thinking for you. And uh, writing a book is all about what a person is thinking. Um, so it's been like that, yeah, side by side. I've, I've taught and, and wrote, and then there's been some summers, and then a, 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 some time, some, every once in a while some term time off. And um, so it's been, it's really been lovely. I, I think of teaching and working um, with writers on their stories as the same kind of investigation so many times that, that writing a story is. I mean, you're sort of trying to figure out your way. So it's, um, you know, I've, I've been very happy with my career. 
I want to talk a little bit about how, have you give some advice to, to writers. This is what you do, of course. You, you teach teach writing. There's one line that really stuck with me. I don't know if, the, if this is from Ron Carlson writes a story, but you you advise writers to stay in the room. What do you mean by that? Well, the um, it's odd, but I, I this that came to me when I was in I was in um, I was in Salt Lake. And I would get, I'd start in the morning, there are days when I had all day. It's sort of terrifying. Here's your day. One great big blank page. And so um, I was really hoping someone would come to my house and tell me what to write. I had some proclivity and I had a little talent, but I didn't, but you wander around a lot. And uh, so then I realized that I'd get going and then I'd uh, think, well, I, I need to. I need. I, I, I'll go. I can't figure this out. I'll go in the other room. I'll be smarter in the other room. Or I'll go get some coffee. That's it. I think I want a cup of coffee. And I finally understood that what I was doing was I didn't want any coffee. I didn't. I wasn't going to be smarter in the kitchen. I like the kitchen. It's got some interesting things in it. But um, it was about the fact that I um, I had I'd confronted some problem. Many times a small problem that just kicked me out of bed, that just made me um, uh, made me uneasy, and I realized that I wasn't it wasn't going to be writing a golden sentence with a silver pen. I was going to be writing something quite wooden and ordinary. And uh, I'm leaving the room, and then I just stopped that. I just said because it still happens almost you know almost um, every time I come to my writing studio and I'm at the table, I think oh I'm and I just don't. I, and so I've made my career these last 30 years on on those 20 minutes after the first time I want to leave the room. I just sit there. I say to myself the way I'd say to one of my students, why don't you just sit there and figure something out? Just type <laughs> something. It'll be okay. Type your way through the low spot. You'll get going again. And uh, 20 minutes later, you're sort of back on the rails and going along. And then you don't even want to leave the room. You don't even need any coffee. Um, it's um, it's it's been the way, and so yeah, you've got to be stubborn. I mean, it isn't uh, writing is such a people speak about it, 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 so you know it's such a happy or such an interesting uh, vocation. But the truth is, a lot of it is just work, and it's um, honorable thereby. We're just we're going to put our all of our hands and all of our elbows and all of our teeth and all of our attention uh, to this thing, and try to get a try to get a couple pages before they're a page or two before the hour's up, and we have to uh, cinch up our tie and go face the world. So you, it's, it's been like that. I I try to. Um, there are still days when I just get uneasy. I don't know what I'm doing, and then I um, whenever I leave the room, I always have a plan for coming back. I always try to leave myself an opening. You try to be a friend to yourself. I never leave myself in, a, in between chapters, for example. Finish chapter two and stop and then go go celebrate chapter one. I just wouldn't do it. I always get into the next chapter and then once I'm in the middle of something, you know, then I know where I'm going tomorrow, then I can leave the room and come back and, and pick it up. I was uh, watching a, a just a short video interview with you. This speaks, and you were speaking about libraries, speak very movingly about libraries. And I think a lot of us who love libraries are wondering, 
what the Placeful Library is going to be in our you know digital digital world. Um, by, by the way, you mentioned there's a great library in Buffalo, Wyoming. Yeah, there is. is that, that, that true? Uh, downtown Buffalo. It's I, I can't. Gee, Louise. I'm trying to figure out if it's, it may be a round building. I don't know. I was in it a couple of times. Um, beautiful building. And all over the country, these, I so admire Andrew Carnegie and all the, you know, thou, he built over a thousand libraries with that money. And um, I grew up with a Carnegie library there on the west side of Salt Lake, the Chapman Branch Library, where I read some important books for me. And uh, my mother used to take us over there once a month and we'd, freshen up all the books and um it's still I, I still try to get over there when i'm in salt lake it's still operating what, what does library do for you and what do you think is is that going to change as we oh no i think i live two blocks from a little tiny library that's just just gorgeous and you can go i sometimes i haul my schoolwork over there and take a table and work for an hour or two but no these places which are not uh, driven by gizmos, not driven by um, our iPads and all of this stuff. The um, I have a feeling. I mean, we're not done. We're not finished with this. Uh, our discovery and application of technological devices, and so there's been this huge rush to technology, and uh, which has been somewhat at the sacrifice of of our own thinking. I mean. Until I was 25, there was no income. You know, I wrote six books on a typewriter. And um, every once in a while I'll say that and somebody will say, oh, my gosh, what was it like? You know, and, well, what it's like is um, there's nothing, there's no incoming. I mean, one of the things about these people with bent their necks looking at their telephones is they're saying, who's, who's after me? What's, what's, what, do you, what do you have to think? What, what is everybody else saying? What, and... When we were kids, we were bored. <laughs> we had yet to figure out what you were thinking. And uh, this whole idea of what a person herself is thinking and how she discovers it, I think we'll still come back to that. I think, I think books will prevail. The book itself is such a perfect technological device. And uh, I see more of them in public than I did two years ago. Um, and, of course, there are more books than ever. So... Um, but and I think the libraries will be these places where we yeah we can go to get resources and um, but anyway I'm so I'm somewhat optimistic I was worried a while ago that that we'd all just abandon everything and nobody would know anything except what they could find out in 4.2 seconds from Google um, but a writer is a person who it's very important that you stay away from the internet, the email, and the Google, and all of its all of their cousins, for the first part of the day when you're thinking. I mean that the the internet is sort of an entertainment device for afternoons, and of course email is like having a crowd of all your best and worst friends in the room while you're trying to do something in the morning. <laughs> that's that's um, certainly true. You've got to decide. You know, I, when, I, when I read your book or when I read a student's book, I'm interested, very interested in what they have to say. I'm not interested in the um, crowdsourcing or the uh, focus group, focus group's opinion. So I don't, I don't think we're done yet. I think we'll, we'll figure out a way to uh, use these technologies to aid and abet our, the way we live and 
stop letting them interfere with you know what we're thinking. So, well, it is uh, it is very helpful. We've uh, reached the end of our time with Ron Carlson. I want to mention here at the end um, just a recommendation. We're we're heading toward Christmas. If you haven't read it, uh, pick up the Eighth Street uh, Sledding Record. Um, wonderful uh, story set in Salt Lake City, in which a young father begins with a young father throwing horse dung on his roof on Christmas Eve to simulate the landing of reindeer. Um, yeah, a wonderful story. It's been featured on selected shorts. Uh, you can you can find that out there. The latest uh, book is a novel. It's called Return to Oak Pine. Ron Carlson, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. This is terrific. I enjoyed it so much. And uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to uh, take on the topic of uh, all these mass shootings in America. We're going to uh, try to uh, reason through this together. It's an open forum program. We're encouraging you to call in, email, and uh, and uh, join us on Twitter. And you can email us right now with your comment. We'll get that on the program, upraxcess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening today. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. service of the College of Humanities and Social Science at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio.